Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with Neil and Roger and John and myself. Bob, gentlemen, how are you? How was Fourth uh, of July weekend for everybody? It's great, Excellent. Bob. Thank you. Super. Yeah? How about yours? Good. Uh, just great. Always, uh, always great. Uh, coming back and uh, getting back to work, and then st- isn't it amazing? Though, can I just say on a side note, isn't it amazing the amount of trashing? Of America that happened over the Fourth of July weekend. I mean, I, I know we talked about uh, last week a lot of stuff leading up to Fourth of July. And before we get specifically to the topic of today, which is about uh, slave ownership and our founding fathers, and and a lot of questions about slavery and the Bible and where founding fathers could they really be Christians? That's the theme of what we're going to talk about. But before we dive into that, I'm just really curious to get you guys take on the anti-Americanism that we saw over the weekend. I know I'm kind of throwing you an audible here, but uh, here's some of the stuff that happened over the weekend. The Washington Post ran an article trashing the Statue of Liberty. NPR did a, a Twitter post trashing the Declaration of Independence. The New York Times uh, did a piece trashing the American flag as divisive, criticizing people who fly the U.S. flag on your lawn or on the back of your pickup truck because it gives a clue to your political affiliation, which is divisive. USA Today asks this headline, quote, ambivalent about celebrating the 4th of July? Uh, You're not alone. National Geographic says that fireworks are Racist. They say, quote, communities of color are disproportionately exposed to air pollution from fireworks celebrations. And I'm thinking, wow, I thought they set them off in inner cities and in the suburbs, but, you know, who knew? Uh, Corey Bush, U.S. Congresswoman, member of the squad, tweeting that the U.S. is stolen land and black Americans are not free. Which, by the way, I'd love to see Cory Bush go to any other nation on planet Earth, try to better deal the United States, and try to accomplish what she's been able to accomplish uh, in other nations around the Earth, what she's been able to do here. Uh, Maxine Waters, trash in the Declaration of Independence as being only for white men. Marvel Comics, the Captain America episode, uh, saying that the American dream is a lie. And then this survey taken of people asking them, are you proud to be an American? And this is an Issues and Insights Tipping Sites poll. 64% of young adults, 18 to 24, 64% said, no, I'm not proud to be an American. Uh, And like I say, we're going to get into the main topic of slavery, but I just wanted to do a little bit of cleanup on the back end of the 4th of July weekend and get your you guys' take on what do you think is driving this anti-Americanism, this hatred for America? Look at America through the worst possible lens and then get offended if you dare question our love for America. Uh, I, I find it amazing. But uh, I'm just kind of curious to go around the table and get you guys' thoughts on this. Maybe, John, if we could start with you. John Rush, sure. Rush to Reason, of course, out of Denver, Colorado. Just your take and observation on the anti-Americanism that seems to be growing a lot. This is a result of 60 to 70 years of communism in our schools and the really the reprogramming or brainwashing, if you would, of you know, several generations now. And it, of course, has infiltrated the, the normal news media, not our type of news, guys, not what we do on a daily basis, but the regular mainstream media. And when you do it for that long and you get that many people on board, these are the results. Yeah. Uh... What do you, Roger, what's your take on this? Well, you know, the thing about uh, the, the American experiment, and I love calling it that because it really was I mean, an experiment in government of, for, and by the people, is when you hear that type of rhetoric, you, ha- you have to wonder what exactly are you being told? You know, and I think one of the big pushes that a lot of people are starting to you know, ask for now is, can we get the whole story of American history, not just the parts that, uh, you know, put you in your echo chamber? And anyone in any kind, all the, di- the different, you know, 
notable people you just mentioned who are you know trashing this and and, and decrying that the, the name of the game is regardless of where we are right now where we started was the declaration of independence so for anyone to trash the declaration of independence that was the i mean those were the rules if you will that's what we got you know our, our grounding on and so to hear people saying well that's wrong and it's racist and it's sexist and it's this that and the other thing it may have played out that way but originally what we celebrate on july 4th is breaking away from England to say we want to you know, form this more perfect union, if you will. I mean, the, it, it was establishing the ground rules. And if you can celebrate that on, on July 4th and, and, and still look soberly at what has happened in the culture since then, then I think you're, you're much better off. But the problem with the left is the left is so myopic and everything that they touch turns to crap. I mean, just, I, I don't know if I can say that on Christian radio, but it really does. <laughs> they, don't, they have no intention of changing anything for the good. It's just, let's just destroy everything around us. Uh, what's that great line from the uh, noted theologian and then one of the dogs in Lady and the Tramp that says a miserable being must find a more miserable being and then he feels better. And that's kind of what leftists do every 4th of July, in my opinion. Hmm. Neil Boron, your uh, your thoughts on this? You know, last time we gathered, we talked about similar things just because it dealt with the 4th of July. And I mentioned last time that I think that a lot of this is rooted in demonic deception. The reason I say that, and I don't want to like go crazy off the deep end here, but, it, you know, all... Satan's the father of lies, and, and every lie is rooted ultimately in satanic deception. So there are tens of thousands of people still streaming to the United States of America to come here from other countries where they're oppressed, where they don't enjoy freedom. And they're not coming here so they can also hate America. They're coming here because America has something to offer that they love and that they enjoy. So what we're really watching are you know people claiming that America is of no value or that, uh, you know, we have been racist and we've been about oppression all of these 240 some odd years. It, that's all lies. And I don't, I don't know how the, this people that are celebrating the open Southern border and the, you know, flow of illegal immigrants coming into our country can at the same time excuse or just completely overlook the fact that they're coming here because America is great. And what America has to offer is still of tremendous value to people all over the world. Right. I'm telling you, I would just, I would love for any of these Hollywood leftists, any of these sports star gazillionaires like LeBron James, just any of the Colin Kaepernick, I would love for these guys to just go to any other nation on planet earth, try to achieve what you've been able to achieve here. Try to find mm -hmm. the same kind of opportunity elsewhere and then come crawling back here on your knees going, sorry, maybe America's not so bad after all. I, I guess one of the things that just stands out to me as I listen to all of these people trashing the United States, as I listen to Maxine Waters and Cori Bush and the, the new, main news media and all the rest of them, I think to myself, they are unwilling to forgive the sins of the United States. I mean, let's face it, slavery was a sin. There's no doubt Jim mm -hmm. Crow a sin. I mean, so these are sins of the country, if you will, if you can apply the word sin to a, a nation. But, yeah, but I think, but, you know, Bob, let's make sure we remind everybody, it wasn't just this country. It was the exactly. sin of most countries at exactly. that time. Uh, agreed. I mean, it was worldwide. Uh, it, all of, Really, for the last 6,000 years, we've had cultures engage. This is a sin problem more than anything else, okay, infecting the earth. But I, I look at these left us in the country today, and they're unwilling to, uh, to, to allow the United States to move forward from that. They insist on living in the past when it comes to the United States and refusing to forgive the United States for these sins of the past. However, they don't hold that same standard to their own Democratic Party. Because we all know that the Democratic Party was the party of slavery. The, you know, the founding fathers were in 1776, okay? The Democratic Party was still pushing Jim Crow laws in the 1960s, all right? Not 1760s, 1960s. Uh, so these are the very same Democrats and liberals and the media and celebrities who look at the Democratic Party and say, well, yeah, but the Democratic Party, that was then, this is now. But they don't look at the United States and say, that was then, this is now. Good point. So we have to live in the past when it comes to the United States and not forgive the U.S. for our sins of the past. But the Democratic Party, Margaret Sanger, and on down the then it's like, well, you can't judge people today through, uh, can't judge people then through the lens of today and blah, blah, blah. It's just a massive double standard. So I, I just, all right. 
right. My eyes just twitching over all of the <laughs> hatred of this country that we heard over the weekend. Now, with that said, slavery is one of the reasons why, uh, or, or one, one of the, the sledgehammers that the leftists in this country continually use to bash our founding fathers. That's why we have to change the names of high schools. That's why we have to tear down statues. That's why, because our founding fathers were a bunch of evil people because they owned slaves. Well, Slave ownership is an evil thing. So, how do we reconcile that? How do we? Uh, how do you reconcile the fact that our founding fathers were Christians, many of them were, and at the same time they were slave owners? That is what we're going to dive into head on and honestly, and we're going to do that right after this break here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth For Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth For Life from the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with myself, Bob Duco, with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron. And let's talk about it, guys. Let's get right into the question of a slave ownership of our founding fathers. Now, Anytime we have a discussion or debate about so-called separation of church and state, and I've had many debates over the years with Freedom From Religion Foundation, with the ACLU, with all those types of groups, uh, and it's amazing how often they always bring up, oh, yeah, where the founding fathers owned slaves. And it's like, hey, I'm not defending the founding fathers in every aspect of their lives, and I'm not trying to argue that they weren't flawed, sinful people with twisted perspectives in certain areas. That's not the debate. The debate is whether they believed in so-called separation of church and state. But the slavery card is still played. And when we quote our founding fathers and we quote their their, uh, talk about faith in Jesus Christ and a reliance upon Almighty God, you get people that go, yeah, but this is coming out of the mouths of people that owned slaves. How do we reconcile those two realities? And if we could, let's just kind of go around the table and, and talk about this uh, a little bit, if we could. Anybody who wants to grab this bull first by the horns, take it away, please. Just because somebody makes a mistake in their how should I say this, guys, in, in their thought process and, and how they view maybe even life in general doesn't mean you you throw the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, just because somebody has something in their life that, you know, uh, maybe this is a poor example, but, you know, Bill Cosby, even though we all know what he did, nobody's justifying anything that he did or how things were handled back then, but he came out and said some things about America uh, a couple of days ago that frankly is right along the lines of what we're talking about today. Now, can you take what Bill Cosby says and throw every single thing out because of some of the things he did in the past? Some would, although just because some of those things happen in his world doesn't mean that he still can't speak the truth in other areas. Yeah, so true. Neil, what, uh, what's your take on this? How do, you, how do you reconcile, explain, and contextualize, if you will, uh, our founding fathers being Christians, some were deists, I get that. Some had questionable theology. You know, Thomas Jefferson, his Jefferson Bible, he didn't believe in the deity of Jesus, so I, I wouldn't trust Thomas Jefferson to teach a Bible study. Uh, but truth is, most of our founding fathers, or a big chunk of them, were in fact believers in Christ. Yet they owned slaves at the same time. How do we reconcile this, Neil? Well, uh, I think about six million evangelicals voted for Joe Biden and the Democratic Party platform in the last election, and of course, we know for sure that they stand for the snuffing out of innocent human life through abortion, uh, and vehemently defend that so-called right to take, you know, the life of the most innocent among us. So, apparently, it's still going on, and I think honestly, sin is at the heart of all of it. Um, there were a number of founders, not all of them who owned slaves some did so almost begrudgingly they weren't necessarily in favor of it and we can talk more about that a little bit later on Uh, many 
work to try to eradicate slavery. But for the same reason, I mean, like if Roe v. Wade goes away tomorrow, if all of a sudden the Supreme Court got rid of Roe v. Wade, you still have individual states that allow for abortion. So we have to think about it in terms of the fact that this was an entire institution that would have had to be done away with over a period of time. And there were some people that owed tremendous amounts of money to other people. Um, by owning slaves, they were able to begin paying that back. That doesn't justify it. doesn't make it right. But but there were there were nuances related to the question of slavery that I mean, one of them was if if all of a sudden we just free the slaves are we going to have a black white civil war well would we just break out in war so those are some of the questions that they were dealing with but when you look at the founding documents uh including obviously the declaration of independence that all men and it's not just men it's mankind you know created equal and endowed with rights by their creator of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, those became, you know, the framework by which ultimately slavery was eventually eradicated. I want to say one other thing. Um, The 1619 Project that focuses on, you know, the horrors of slavery and actually make the claim that that was the real founding of America, that America was founded to be a slave nation. I dispute that. I'm against that that line of thinking. Uh, America was founded in 1776, and the Declaration of Independence says what we were actually all about. But I just want to mention um, that even the 1619 Project acknowledges that about 12.5 million slaves, Africans, were taken from Africa to be slaves in other parts of the world. Only about 400,000 actually came here to the U.S. Now, it doesn't make it right. It's 100% wrong. But that's a fact most people aren't aware of. And slavery still exists today. There's 27 million some odd people in some across the world today that are enslaved for various reasons, whether it's human trafficking or, you know, prostitution or forced labor, indentured servitude, whatever it is. But um, this is a major problem. It's been a major problem and it still exists today. So I, I think we need to bring all of that into the context of, of a conversation like this, especially if we're talking to people. Um, who aren't fans of the United States of America, so that they begin to see the bigger picture of what actually was going on when our country was founded. Yeah, no, th- I mean, and by the way, those are some very fair points, and some of the things that you're saying there, uh, Neil, are, are just not going to be in the history books. Nobody talks about this. We, we've got this idea that the United States and Great Britain and what that that uh, white Europeans went into Africa and rounded up people, put them in chains, and stole them out of there. But the truth is that the slaves were rounded up by fellow black people in Africa that rounded up their own people from their own continent and then sold them for profit to countries like Great Britain and others who then uh, sold them here to the United States. And so this is an evil practice, of course, but this is part of the ugliness of humankind. It's not an intrinsically white thing. Whites were the buyers, okay, but blacks were the sellers uh, of slaves originally. And that, that's something you're never going to read in your history books either. Why don't mm-hmm. we recognize it's not so much as a white-black thing, but a sin problem uh, in the world, certainly. But, uh, Roger, your your take on the Founding Fathers being Christian and slave owners sounds like a dichotomy. How do we reconcile that? Well, I think first and foremost, maybe a good understanding of Greek and Hebrew might help. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, what the word slave actually means. And, and, and we've seen this time and time again, where there's a term in the original text that gets translated into English, and it's given an English meaning. Take the word love, for example. There are four different types of love in the Greek, and we use the same word love to describe them or define them. Uh, the English term slave, you know, coming from the Hebrew uh, eved or doulos in the Greek, literally refers to, in the original text, a servant or a hired worker. And so what the quote-unquote slave trade was in, in Scripture had nothing to do with what you just described, Bob. There weren't, you know, uh, people going and rounding people up and selling them off in, in, in auction the way that uh, we see depicted here in the United States. So much as it was, yeah, there were times when Old Testament armies would go in and subdue somebody else and take them captive. And there was that because of battle. But there were other people, too, who were working off debts, you know, and, and basically sold themselves as hired workers where the wage was, I'm paying you back, and, uh, and, and wound up having decent relationships. You see it all throughout the New Testament. Paul 
talking about you know treating your slaves well and you know masters don't you know lord over them and slaves don't lead an uprising but the idea was they were talking about a different kind of what we would call slavery than what we see here today so i'm sure there were many people who would profess faith in christ and actually mean it but at the same time misconstrue that they say oh we have a slave trade this is great this is kind of like paul and galatians and instead of saying well no it's not it's not even close and i think you know we can look at this here in 2021 and say okay what was happening in the 1700s you know it, it what that what they were doing was completely wrong i think we should be able to contextualize it and and call it for what it is and i appreciate the points that uh, you know that neil and john have made on this as well uh, it, it's it's and it's something leftists love to, you know, it's baby and bathwater all in the same toss, you know, in terms of, you know, everything has to go. That, the 1619 Project is dangerous in the sense that it says, hey, look, you know, America was founded to be a slaver nation and whites are all racist. And I mean, all those extremes that leftists won't live by themselves. I mean, so they, they, they really don't have any justification for it other than, you know, trying to make this an old earth, uh, young earth creation argument, you know, as to when things started. Well, when does it start? It started when it, it fits my name narrative you know and so 1619 works better than 1776 so that's what i'm going with all right let's take a short break we'll pick it up from there more of the this national crawford roundtable podcast coming up next dr james dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in america the radio broadcasting ministry of dr dobson spans over four decades earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the national radio hall of fame Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line from the People's Republic of California, Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live, Buffalo, New York, John Rush of Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado, myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. We're talking about the issue of slavery, our founding fathers, uh, a biblical understanding of slavery. How can you reconcile our founding fathers being Christian and slave owners at the same time? Uh, does the slave ownership therefore undo any of the noble things about our founding fathers. I don't think that it should. You know, I, I want to offer guys my perspective on this, that, you know, I look at our founding fathers and I, I think to myself, you know, if I, if I could go back in a time machine or maybe someday in heaven, you know, when we get to meet George Washington uh, or, or any of these guys, to look at them and go, what were you thinking? You know, how, how could you not see how intrinsically evil this was to buy and sell human beings as chattel uh, and certainly we recognize that this was wrong and that this is sinful but it seems to me and, and this is one of the things that nobody seems to want to talk about because it sounds so controversial but when when you have a sin that is woven into the fabric of culture and society so much that it's been so normalized before you know it, the edge comes off of that wrongness, and you start justifying it as maybe not so bad. And but you know, you 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 take slavery. This has been woven into the fabric of European culture for hundreds of years, worldwide culture for thousands of years. It certainly doesn't justify it. But if you take something that is clearly intrinsically wrong and you normalize it to a point to where, well, everybody's doing it, then suddenly it becomes the equivalency of driving 71 in a 70-mile-an-hour zone. It's like, well, okay, I'm, I'm breaking the law, but you know, it's not, I'm not murdering somebody. I'm driving 71 in a 70 uh, because everybody does it. And so it's not that serious anymore, and it's become normalized. And I would argue as an analogy to this, polygamy. Uh, look in the Bible at the places of polygamy. God didn't condone polygamy. He didn't encourage polygamy. He didn't say, hey, polygamy is fine. No, God was clear in his word that polygamy is a sin. You are to have one uh, a husband, one wife, a wife, one husband, male and female. God created them, okay? Uh, it, is, it is one man and one woman, yet what do we see in Scripture? Some of the biggest names, some of the biggest patriarchs in the Bible practiced polygamy. They, they had multiple wives from Abraham and Jacob, David, Lamech, Gideon, Ahab, Hosea, even Solomon. I mean, Solomon, the wisest man ever. And look at how many wives he had. But we also recognize in the fallen nature of humanity, 
uh, multiple wives was common all over the world in all cultures through, and including throughout the Middle East. And there was in a weird kind of way a perception that this benefited women because women, your average woman couldn't go out and get a regular job. So uh, they either had to be a prostitute to feed themselves or they had to be basically part of somebody's concubine or harem to feed themselves. Uh, and so it became a normalized thing in society where even godly men are like, well, you justify it because yeah, I'm kind of doing the woman a favor. I'm taking her in and she'll become a prostitute otherwise and everybody else is doing it and so is it that serious. And so I don't think we're going to look at, at uh, Solomon, Abraham, Jacob, Lamech, Gideon and all the rest of them and say, well, then let's strip them out of the Bible. Uh, no, these are human men who are godly men that had a twisted perspective because they allowed their their worldview to be shaped in some ways by their culture around them and they should not have. And I think if we give that level of grace to some of the patriarchs in the Bible, we ought to give that same level of grace to some of our founding fathers and recognize what they did was wrong, but they accepted something as not that wrong because it had been so normalized, woven into society, and even a certain perspective of, hey, what are these black people going to do if they suddenly go free? At least I'm providing them food and shelter and clothing and everything else. And so in a twisted way, we're really helping them out, and I'm just making sure to treat them right. Today, 2021, none of that makes any sense. But 200 years ago, I can see where even Christian men would have had their perspective skewed by what was common in society. That's kind of my take on that, but I'd love to throw it out there and get anybody else's response. And by the way, feel free to tell me that I'm all wet on this because I very well could be. No, it's a cognitive dissonance, Bob, that you that you just described. We can see this for what it is, what it was then, and what it is now. And the fact that you you see, you know, even clergy, you know, out there using scripture verses incorrectly to to justify it is wrong, and we can call it wrong. I mean, we should be able to call it wrong. We can look at it now, and yet at the same time, you look at the way God uses us flawed human beings and say, okay, well, yeah, are you going to toss David, you know, in that whole category? But Solomon had a thousand women, and for crying out loud, this is the smartest man alive. This is the one right. who got that had that divine intervention from God in the dream saying I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you all these things too and and he took all that wisdom and started knocking it out with a thousand ladies I mean this is it's crazy and yet we don't disparage him of the wisdom that he actually shared with us you know we look for the good we 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 don't want to say we overlook the bad but we call it for what it is you know you you brought up something interesting and I know we're coming up on the the half hour break but just uh, very quickly I wanted to uh, you know circle back around to it because of the fact that when you have moral absolutes and we have standards like the four of us do we can make judgments like that we can use discernment like that when you've got leftist america that wants to push god completely out of the way now you just keep ranking sins okay it's like well okay what i'm doing here with corruption and bribery and stuff like that it's not as bad as slavery so i'm okay you know or abortion mm-hmm. might seem bad to some people but it's not as bad as slavery and all of a sudden that becomes like the uh, the, the 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 great evil that they're judging everything against where we can look at this and say look slavery was wrong abortion's wrong lying bribing all those those are sins and and we, but we've got a we've got a firm standards so perhaps in the second half we can kind of get into that how do we as christians navigate a an anti-christian world that would do that but would just say look you'll never get anything over on us because slavery you know and, and that's it's a ridiculous argument but it's one that gets made all the time and it, it it attempts to shut down any kind of dialogue because it's like oh that's it you know we're we're suddenly uh, completely neutered from any kind of joining of the conversation uh, right. because of that so I'll tell you what we are on the bottom of the hour folks you can listen to the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast online you can go to crawfordmediagroup.net and also listen to past episodes by the way we would love it if you would rate the show we'll gladly take your five star review uh, listen to us at Apple Podcast Stitcher TuneIn or wherever you listen to your podcast and more with John, Roger, Neil, and myself, Bob, next here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable podcast in the second half with Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, John Rush of Rush to Reason from Denver, Colorado, Comrade Roger Marsh from the People's <laughs> Republic of California, host of The Bottom Line, and myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. And we're talking about kind of a, a post uh, January, post July 4th Independence Day weekend, a lot of the trashing of America that took place and so many people on the left in this country uh, just cannot get past 
the slavery issue. Bottom line, uh, our founding fathers, we shouldn't have any schools named after them because they were slave owners. How do we reconcile them being Christian and slave owner? And is it possible to be a Christian and a slave owner? Well, yes, it is. It is possible to be a Christian and have a twisted perspective on what is right and what is wrong. Uh, It is possible as a Christian to get caught up sometimes in a, a, a worldly, cultural worldview in certain areas if it's been normalized enough, be it polygamy in the Bible, be it uh, slavery, be it abortion today. And you know, one of the things I think regarding our founding fathers, we got to be real careful to do, uh, not to do rather, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, and I want to kind of get your take on this, uh, Neil, if I could is uh, this tendency to look at everything in history through a 2021 American lens. And it's like, you can't do that. You, you can't look at biblical times in the Middle East through a 2021 American cultural lens. You can't look at our founding fathers and the issue of slavery 200 years ago through a 2021 lens. We do tend to do this sometimes. We expect people to, you know, we, we you, to a certain extent, you, you can't even look at some of the things of 50, 60, 70 years ago through the 2021 lens in certain areas. But we tend to do this. It's like every, we expect everybody throughout history and in all cultures to have the very same kind of awareness and understanding of certain things and the same kind of clarity of thought that we have today in different cultures. And I don't think it's realistic to do that. Well, and I think that the ultimate aim of Scripture is to point people to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who... You know, once we surrender our lives to him and recognize our need of him begins the process of sanctifying us so that one day we might look like him. And in that process, a whole bunch of crap rises to the surface. Roger, mm-hmm. to quote you officially on Christian radio. <laughs> no, I'm, that's app cray. Just <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry about it. But, you know, there's a we I think we do a great disservice to even tolerate the idea that all of the founders owned slaves. They, 25 of the 55 people who attended the First Continental Congress uh, actually owned slaves. There were people like Benjamin Franklin. He was a member of a five-person committee that drafted the Declaration of Independence, which was largely, largely written by um, Thomas Jefferson, but he was part of a five-member committee. He owned a handful of slaves from 1735 to 1781. But it was the teaching of a Quaker named Anthony Benezet and other abolitionists that ultimately, you know, caused Franklin to begin to to come to oppose slavery, and he willingly freed his own slaves. John Jay, who was governor of New York, also uh, the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, manumitted all of his slaves, which means to emancipate them. He freed them on his own volition. So there were people struggling with this issue. They didn't know what to do about it. I think they were many of them were under conviction, felt it was wrong. But the the majority of people at the first Continental Convention didn't own slaves. And by the way, by the late uh, by 1787, there was only three states: uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia that were still allowing slaves to be brought in. Uh, all of the other slaves had cut, all of the other states had cut off that practice. So this was a it was a country in conflict. I mean, it was a country that was doing everything in its power to look at this issue and say, how do we handle it? How do we handle it appropriately? It clearly exists, but many were saying it's clearly wrong. And it, in yeah. many ways, resembles the fight for life today, the pro-life fight but they, to say, look, at these children need to be protected. But they had to make compromise as well, guys. In fact, in that compromise, and everything, by the way, Neil, you just said is exactly right. And, and even Thomas Jefferson spoke out you know, vehemently against the, the slave trade, and, and, and he wrote several articles about how it was inhumane, it wasn't the right thing to do, and so on. But the founders also knew that if they didn't have some compromise, there was a frac- you know, there was a faction of, of states, of, of individuals that were willing to walk 
out of us forming a union, and they wanted the union more than anything else, knowing that if we could get a union started, maybe that in and of itself would bring people together enough to where at some point in time down the road they could abolish slavery. So they knew they had to make a compromise to even get us off the ground in the first place. So for people to run around today and say, yeah, these guys were all a bunch of slave owners, and you know we, we shouldn't have the country we have today because of that, they don't know their history very well at all in understanding what went on. And, and all through history, Guy, by the way, guys, compromises have to be made to get where you're going to get. It's the number one rule of business for that matter. You have mm-hmm. to compromise at times to be able to get where you're going, and that's exactly what the founders did. There was a pragmatic approach that they did take to this, and and if you look at their writings, it is very common for them to actually refer to slavery as kind of a necessary evil that they'd like to see eradicated. George Washington even put in his will that his slaves were to be freed and taught to uh, read, which, by the way, was illegal to do at the time, and that a portion of his will was to be set aside so that and so that his slaves could be cared for for the rest of their lives uh, as well. Well, and so, and this was extremely countercultural, uh, you know, two hundred years ago. So it was, it's going against the grain of the culture to at least uh, incrementally, pragmatically move in the direction of let's ultimately get right. slaves freed. But if we rip the gauze and the bandaid off too much, we'll completely fracture and destroy this nation. And we don't want that to happen either. And that's in that's fact, a- in, in guys in, in today, let's face it, you may have a whole different world outlook when it comes to slavery had those guys not did what they did some 250 years ago. And that's the thing that, again, you're never going to hear out of the left because, A, they don't know their history. They don't want to know history because that history goes against their current day narrative. Right. So true. Let's, uh, let's talk specifically about the Bible. There is a perception, and we've touched on, touched on this a little bit. Roger, you were talking about this earlier as well, but I want to go deeper into this, okay? Does the Bible, in fact, condone slavery? This is, this is something a lot, you know, skeptics will often bring this up, and it's like, no, the Bible doesn't condone slavery, but it does uh, record slavery, and then we've got to understand the context of slavery and how it's Defined, And this is such an important point that you were making before. The overwhelming majority of slavery that we see in the Bible is what's referred to as indentured servitude, okay, Uh, where where people would pay off their debts voluntarily uh, to serve as a a servant. And the term Mm -hmm. used there is master and slave. Today, we use terms like employee, employer. But then it was master, servant. And this is somebody who would uh, either sell themselves into slavery, if you will, to pay off debts or with their family yep. because, once again, it was a common thing. We, we can't look at this through the 2021 American lens. No. We have to look at it through the lens of that. You have a, a father who has two daughters and whose two daughters, uh, they're, not able to, uh, they're not able to find a husband somewhere. So, and in the meantime, it's like, oh, and we don't really, I don't have a dowry for them. And so what do we do? They need something. I don't want them to fall into prostitution. I also don't want them to become somebody's wife at this point in a harem until they can find one man uh, let me let them work off, uh, have somebody who they will voluntarily choose to uh, cook and to clean and to work the fields and to basically uh, provide indentured servitude so that they will receive food and clothing and shelter and everything like that until the time that they're able to be released from that and maybe find a husband. But this is referred to as, quote, selling into slavery. And we can't look at selling into slavery in um, uh, in scripture the way that we look at it today it's entirely different and so let's make sure and establish this first of all there is a big difference between what we saw as slavery practiced in America 
and the kind of use of the term slavery and indentured servitude in Scripture. Uh, Roger, as you were pointing out before, this is entirely different, and people need to understand the difference. Yeah, you see the term servant used in Scripture all the time. I mean, look at the, I mean, Jesus in Matthew 24, you know, he's talking about the uh, when the Lord's return is going to be, and he talks about having two servants, one who is good and one who is wicked. You know, I mean, there are all sorts of parables where Jesus is discussing, you know, a, a forgiving servant and unforgiving servant. Remember the one about the, the one who owed the king 10,000? thousand talents and the king right. forgives the debt you know that whole bit and then the other guy gets where do, the, the guy winds up going in prison until he can do what pay back every penny that he owes why because that's why he was in servitude in the first place i mean i think scripture is very clear and if jesus is good enough to share these examples with us as parables that should be the the starting point but where we got to the slave trade of the you know 17th 18th 19th centuries and how it impacted the founding of the United States of America I mean guys the the number of people in the southern states you had you know a couple million uh, folks who were free and a million people who were slaves working the fields I mean it was at John's point it was a huge part of commerce and it's one of those quote-unquote necessary evils I think as I was listening to your description though earlier Bob I, I have to wonder I know a lot of people like to say gosh America is a Christian nation and I to be perfectly honest with you, if we're making pragmatic deals about the you know the the lives of living, breathing human beings, as whether or not you get to be free or not, I don't know how we say America is a theocracy or a Christian nation um, with, with that happening. I mean, it's we've been pragmatic from the word go, and we're you know we we can self-correct and course-correct all we want, and that's one of the things I love about this nation is that we can we can look back at 1776 and 1789 and 1812 and uh, 1862 and 65 and you know and on and see the progress that we have made and say okay as Christians though you know can you justify the stuff? I think we can explain it. I don't know that we can necessarily justify it. Yeah, good point. Let's take a short break. We'll pick it up from there in a couple of minutes more with the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gregg. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford broadcasting station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with Roger Marsh, John Rush, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco. We're talking about slavery and the Bible right now. Uh, Neil, how do you how do you respond if, if somebody, you're sitting on a plane and person next to you is maybe a skeptic and says, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, God in your Bible uh, condoned slavery. And so how do you how do you explain that? How do you contextualize that? Because not all of the slavery in the Bible was indentured servitude, voluntary servitude, mm-hmm. if you will. In some places, God did uh, instruct Israel to take, uh, to take those that were attacking Israel and put them into slavery, if you will, against their will for a certain period of time. And and I I think to myself, oh wait, well that's horrible. But hold on a second, they didn't have prisons everywhere. To a certain extent, prisons today are a form of slavery. You're put behind bars against your will and then put out in the fields to work through the day and you're fed and you're housed and you're closed. But the bottom line is you gotta work off your debt. And God instructed people that attacked Israel or sinned against Israel that they would be punished. And one of the ways they would be punished would be to, in essence, be taken as slaves, but only for a certain period of time. There were rules there were guidelines for how they were to be treated. Uh, and certainly we know that with indentured servitude, if you didn't pay off your debts after six years, you were set free after seven. So it, it just it's not the same thing as we see today, but a lot of skeptics try to claim it is. Well, we were created for freedom and Christ came to set us free. And I, you know, the Bible doesn't say, as for instance, thou shalt not abort, but you can look at scripture in its whole, in its entirety, in its context, and come to the conclusion that abortion is totally wrong on a biblical basis. You see the same thing with involuntary slavery. In other words, where somebody hasn't agreed to work for someone for a period of time to pay off a debt, the indentured servitude thing you're referring to. But I mean, Exodus is pretty clear. Right after it, it says in Exodus that whoever strikes his father and mother shall be put to death. It says whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Exodus Um, 21.16. Yeah. So then you look at, you know, you say, well, where does grace play into this? The bottom line is that all of us are guilty 
according to God's law. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. We see that in Romans three twenty three. And um, so, so, so what? Well, Jesus came to set captives free. He came to reverse the curse, so to speak, and to give us new life and to give us an opportunity to have a relationship with God. So you look at a verse like First Timothy, chapter one, like eight to ten ish, but you know, saying that the law is good. Why? Because it 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 shows us our sin. It it was created for evildoers, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. There's that terminology again, for murderers, the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whoever else is contrary to sound doctrine. But but what? Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to give us an opportunity to be freed from the curse of the law and to experience forgiveness in him. And so ultimately, what's interesting too, that the Apostle Paul writes about us ultimately becoming slaves to Christ and to righteousness, that you know he doesn't shy away from that term. But I guess what I'm getting at here is that in, in the Word of God, we see that, that uh, sin is real. The law proves that to us. Christ came to set us free from sin and give us the opportunity to live differently. And I see ultimately that our hope is not in uh, human laws or proclamations or desire to do better as human beings, but ultimately our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ, who's the only one who gives us righteousness, freedom from sin, and the opportunity to live according to God's plan and purpose. And, you know, it's an important point uh, as well that you brought up in, in Exodus that uh, Exodus twenty one sixteen. Yes, it says, "He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand or possession, shall surely be put to death." Mm-hmm. I mean, so God's word is clear in the Old Testament under the law. The kind of slavery that we saw practiced here, people in Africa rounding up their own people, then selling them against their will uh, into slavery. This is something that under the law, under Levitical law, you to be put to death. For doing that kind of thing, so it's right. just—I uh, mean, John Rush—it's just not true that the God of the Bible condones slavery as we understand slavery today. But it's amazing how many people perceive that to be true. Yeah, and I think you guys did a good job of explaining that. You know, a it wasn't one and the same as what we're talking about with, you know, the the foundation of our country in. There's a, also a scripture that talks about, you know, oh, oh, no man anything, because back then they didn't have bankruptcy laws like we have today. If you owed somebody money and you had no way to pay them back, you became their slave, their servant to get that debt paid off because they didn't have that same luxury that, you know, that we have today in, in this country. And really not every country does that, by the way. But in this country, if you get far enough behind on your debts, and by the way, not that I agree with it, but if you get far enough behind on your debts and you have no way to repay, you take out bankruptcy, you get a fresh start, and away you go. That didn't exist in biblical times, guys. Yeah, that's a very good point. Let's uh, take one more short break, and we'll wind down our National Crawford Roundtable podcast next. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Kind of winding down the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with John Rush, Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, myself, Bob Duco. Uh, we've been talking about uh, slavery and the Bible, how we understand and contextualize slavery properly. Uh, this is a follow-up to a discussion of slavery and our founding fathers, and can you really be a Christian? Could we call them Christians when they own slaves? Well, yes, uh, but that doesn't mean that slavery was right or justified in any way. It certainly was not. So, okay, guys, we, we've pretty much established that that the slavery in the Bible is different than how people understand the word slavery today. Most of it was indentured servitude. Most of it was people voluntarily paying off their debts. Uh, And as far as the few cases where you would see Israel instructed to take 
people in battle as slaves that were attacking Israel. This was a punishment for them. They didn't have prisons to put them in, so what they would do is basically have them work off, if you will, pay for their crime. Uh, This was their punishment for a period of time that they had to work off as slaves, and even then they were forced to be set free once their debt to Israel was paid in this case. So, And God set up specific rules and guidelines for the handling of slaves that uh, was way more generous than what was common in cultures around the world and around the rest of the Middle East. So we got to put the whole thing into context. That brings me to, as we kind of wind this down and talking about slavery, gentlemen, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how slavery is still going on today. Because people don't realize, uh, a lot of people don't realize how real this actually is. And you don't have to go over to, for example, Sudan and see many of the South Sudan Christians that are taken as slaves by North Sudan. And we certainly see slavery in many other areas practiced uh, in similar ways. Look at what China is doing with the the Uyghur Muslims, for example. But even here in America, the sex trade and the slave trade industry is incredible. You look at the porous border, I'm going to get all political now, but the Biden administration in their enticing of these coyotes to take uh, and these human smugglers to take people from the northern triangle of Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, as well as Mexico and other countries. So here, give me your life savings and we'll go ahead and pack you like sardines in a truck and we'll transport you through Mexico to the border. We'll dump you off. Good luck getting over. Meanwhile, you're financially destroyed. And along the way, the women are commonly raped and the children are commonly either raped and or sold into slavery, the sex trade industry, and it happens to a lot of the women as well. And it's just, it's amazing, even here in America, I know you guys, I'm sure, have have interviewed experts on the slave trade and sex trade industry right here in our own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, This is going on. It's below the radar screen. It's a sick, evil part of a fallen world, there's no doubt. But my goodness, I don't think people realize the amount of people that right now are held in slavery and it's in our very under our very noses in our very neighborhoods and we don't even know about it. And it's a real thing and I think it ought to be on all of our radar screens, frankly. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right, Bob, and you know, I, I'm sure everybody else has interviewed those same individuals sure. and... Uh, yeah, it, it, and yet it's something that you, you hear very little talked about, none of it talked about by politicians uh, on any level, by the way. That's the right or the left. This is one of those things, Bob, where I think folks just feel like if they keep it swept under the rug and it never comes out, you know, nobody cares. Let's add on top of that the other modern-day slavery, which really this this one is, the I mean, the one you just mentioned, huge, yes, major. But the other one that also gets me on an ongoing basis, we've got this huge, quote-unquote, green movement, yet we all know that a part of the green movement is the mining of precious metals, cobalt being one of them, where we know for a fact that is done with child slave labor. So all these people that are pushing for this green movement are, in a sense, pushing for child slavery. That's a very good point. Uh, John, I know you've, I'm sure on your show many times, talked about the reality of slavery right now being pushed around the world. And to to Roger's point, Yes, I mean you've got uh, you've got a lot of industries right now, like the green industry, that is in fact pushing this. There's a lot of clothing industries as well that are doing yes, this. Yes, Certainly in Eastern countries, the child labor, the the slave trade industry, and it's just it amazes me how nobody seems to want to talk about that right now. By the way, can I just say to get political, the Trump administration actually very aggressively went after. Uh, this industry a lot, uh, certainly yes. the yes. Uh, the sex trade industry. He got no credit for that, but uh, it's something that I think ought to be on certainly more of our radar screens. Yeah, and Bob, it's not because you know what we're talking about when it comes to the history of the country meets their narrative, but talking right. about green energy and you know child slave labor doesn't. Talking about the sex slave end of things, that doesn't meet their narrative. I mean, it just goes to show you that unless something meets the narrative of the left, they're not going to talk about it. No, I know. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, Neil. Let, let me just add to um, just slightly different take on all this. But, you know, if you think about it, bloodletting was still being practiced even in the late 1800s. I mean, it existed right. for about 3,000 years. But the point being that human beings are a work in progress. Nobody today thinks bloodletting makes any sense at all. But, you know, medical professionals were trying to cure people of diseases and ailments by, you know, taking the blood out of their body so uh we're we're in process i i just wonder and i lament the reality that when what's going to happen on the day that the world comes to its senses and realizes what's actually happening in abortion I, you know just to think about the situation where jesus uh you know was confronting the accusers of the woman caught in the very act of adultery right and by jewish law she was deserving of death but he lifted the veil and said, allowed them to see their own sin, which is why nobody cast a stone. When you know, when he asked the question, "Whoever's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone." God, through the person of Jesus, and of course the Holy Spirit, illuminating the truth of God's word, has the ability to lift the veil. And one, I mean, there's nothing about medical science in any way, shape, or form that tells us that what a woman is carrying in her abdomen is anything less than a human being. You've got a a beating human heart at five weeks. You know, it's unbelievable. So what happens when that veil gets lifted? And I pray for that day to come. I know that we all do. But the reality is the very same kind of mentality that allows it to exist today in the United States is what was going on during the time that slavery was permitted. And by the way, I remember, I think I've said this on a previous podcast, but I remember looking at a pro-abortion liberal you know activist one day and asking the question but what about the fact that we're dealing with a a human baby and this young woman snarled at me and said Hmm. we know it's a baby but it's legal you know there probably Hmm. was a time where people said uh, abortion may be wrong and i'm not entirely comfortable with it but it's legal and it's profitable to me i mean but by the time the cotton gin was invented and cotton became you know was able to you were able to work with it and refine it quickly the question was how is it going to be gathered quickly and all of a sudden there was an economic benefit that hadn't even been previously you know that that wasn't present previously that that really i think kept slavery around from 1800 to 1863 65 whatever it was uh at the signing of the emancipation proclamation but anyway um just a sad chapter in in american and u.s history but obviously result of our sin and selfishness well you know what though when you're talking about abortion and slavery you know the arguments that are used to justify legalized abortion today are the identical arguments that can and were be used in the 1850s and 60s to justify uh, slavery. I mean, people back then said, look, I don't personally believe in slavery. I wouldn't personally own a slave, but I can't force my views on other people, you know, uh, or there's a constitutional right to this or, or protection or whatever. I can't tell an individual, it should be an individual plantation owner's right to choose. Uh, but then there was also the the economic hardship issue. You had You had widows who that their husband died in the Civil War or whatever, and they're just widows right. and they got the plantation, and they don't have enough money to go out there to hire people to work the fields. And if they go out there with their arthritic hands and try to work the fields themselves, they'll die of a heart attack, and these slaves are legal, and they've been in their family for generations, and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, you can create the, the tear-jerk, kind of uh, a heartwarming story about the the little old lady widow who if you take her slaves away and set them free she's going to be destroyed she'll lose everything uh, I, i'm not saying we don't care about that that widow but that's our care for her can't justify saying therefore keep slavery legal and in the same that's way right. when somebody says today well what about that young woman who gets pregnant it's unplanned pregnancy and this is going to really mess up her life or whatever and it's like uh, we can care for her we can love her we can pray for her but that doesn't become a ju- that hardship doesn't become a justification to say therefore it should be legally acceptable for her to get that abortion these same arguments were used for slavery that are used for abortion today yeah and how ironic sad and ironic that so many in the black community who themselves were targets for extinction somebody mentioned margaret sanger earlier haven't been leaders speaking out about this and my my joy is to see that more are joining the course right now Mm -hmm. but for the very reason that a slavery should be 100 percent opposed uh, black americans should join with white americans and standing and saying abortion's absolutely wrong
<laughs> Absolutely. You know, guys, I want to make a, a point here, just circling back to some of the things that have been discussed here about the, the, the selective amnesia that the left typically has when it takes an issue like slavery or abortion or this, that, and the other thing. Uh, we can also fall victim to that, too, in the church. And we ha- I think it's really important for us to be, you know, careful when it comes to, like, our patriotism versus nationalism and stuff like that. I mean, we can very mm-hmm. easily get wrapped up in, this is what my pastor always preaches on, and this is the way America should look, and it should look to me, and I'm a Christian, and you kind of can't tell the difference between the church and the nation and I think we do a great service to the culture on the whole when we have conversations like we're having right now you know the fact that we can look at stuff and say okay take the issue of slavery let's look at the biblical definition let's look at how it played out in America what what we can condemn uh, we can condone the good behavior that's happening you know having these types of conversations I think and modeling it for other people because it is kind of amazing I think we've all kind of been there where you have that aha moment that revelation mm-hmm. of you know well how would I handle uh, assisted suicide situation if someone in my church came up and said hey my my son has decided he wants to you know end his life and he lives in the state where it's legal and they want me to be there what do I do you know and those things that we think well just don't go because it's wrong instead of saying well maybe we should go because what if he changes his mind you know I mean life is way more complicated and nuanced than what we see on Facebook and Twitter and and I'm encouraging us to keep doing what we're doing and hopefully use this as a model for other people to say hey let's let's not just easily dismiss stuff with a fourth of July patriotic tweet or meme and move on without any explanation. If anybody needs more explanation now, it's the people of the world who are overly educated but really, uh, overly schooled but not properly educated. I think Mark Twain's probably smiling somewhere in hmm. terms of, uh, you know, letting schooling getting in the way of your education. You know, yeah. one out of every three millennials has a bachelor's degree or better. It doesn't mean we're smarter as a nation. It just means more people got college degrees. So well, I, 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 yeah. I take that I take that to heart. And, I, and again, this is this is the point in the program where Roger says he's really grateful for this conversation. But I really am the <laughs> fact that we bring these things to light and we all kind of kick it around from our own different biblical perspective. And uh, I just appreciate you right. guys a lot. Well, well said, Pastor. Well said. And that is another National Crawford Roundtable podcast uh, in the bank. By the way, just as a side note, um, you guys may have seen this news this week. We'll just throw this out. Very eclectic. Has nothing to do with what we've been talking about. The American Humanist Association, which, of course, is a big atheist group and uh, free thinkers, they call themselves, and the, the humanists, uh, they give their annual awards. It's their highest honor every year to the humanist of the year. Some of the previous winners have been Margaret Sanger, Benjamin Spock, Carl Sagan, Ted Turner, CNN founder, Richard Dawkins, Stephen Jay Gould, Bill Nye, Gloria Steinem, Barney Frank, Adam Savage, the atheist from Mythbusters. Uh, they just named their 2021 recipient of the Humanist of the Year Award, Dr. Anthony Fauci. So there we go. Uh, Wonderful. <laughs> proud Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate uh, it. Way, way to end on a high note. Uh, that yeah, really, really, note. Now, you. does his does his award have one mask or two on it? They should just put a mask on it, exactly. Uh, All right. Uh, It's always great uh, catching up with with all the guys. The four of us just love getting together like this every single week. And, folks, we love you listening and and being part of it. So remember, everybody, you can listen to past episodes of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Review the show. We'd love – we get a lot of nice five-star our reviews. We really appreciate that. You can also go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. And Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live, Buffalo, New York, John Rush, Rush to Reason, Denver, Colorado, Roger Marsh uh, from the bottom line from the People's Republic of California, and myself, Bob Duke, out of Detroit. Guys, always great catching up with you. Looking forward to next week. Likewise. Thank you, Bob. See you then. Thanks. Thanks. See you. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Media Group production.